Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 92 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, everyone who dons the orange and blue is in some way unformidable. After a long wait of a full year, or full calendar year plus, the Mets 2022 season has finally seen the return of the king. The de-goat, Jacob deGrom, has returned picked up right where he left off as the best pitcher in the game. Sure, I want to wrap bubble wrap around in between starts, and I've had enough PTSD over the last season or two that I keep waiting to see him shake his arm after a random pitch in the third inning and come off the field, but so far, so good. And for all the great pitchers and pitching performances in Mets history, your Seavers, DeGrom, Doc Gooden, your memorable games, your imperfect per- game of Tom Seavers, R.A. Dickey hurling back-to-back one-hitters, Doc throwing back-to-back 16 strikeout games in 84 in his rookie season, Cohen striking out 19. What ESPN ranked as the greatest pitching performance in Mets history in an article back in 2018 belonged to the obscure and unformidable Rob Gardner. And again, this is for an organization, uh, the Mets, who, in quoting the article, have 
50, at least it's 2018, had 59 inning performances with a game score of 90 or higher, uh, more than many teams that were around much longer than the Mets. The franchise is known in a positive sense for little more than their pitching excellence, uh, but it is somehow fitting in the Mets' quirky history that it is Rob Gardner who, who hurled one of the most memorable and that will recount along with his baseball career today. Richard Frank Gardner was born on December 19, 1944, in Scenic, upstate Binghamton, New York. Gardner's mom called him Robin, which he hated, so it got shortened to Rob, and that's what he was known as. As someone whose mom called him Bobby and hated it, I can somewhat relate. I guess that's where the relating ends, though, as Gardner was a standout left-handed pitcher at Binghamton Central High School. Well, I was a non-standout right-hander who really didn't get to play baseball past much past high school. Binghamton Central, interestingly, in an article I read on Gardner, was most known uh, as the alma mater of Rod Serling of Twilight Zone fame, which I thought was too excellent a fact to... Uh, to not mention. Gardner was already attracting attention of scouts by his sophomore year of high school, um, and right after his high school graduation signed with the Twins for a reported 12500 uh, which actually disappointed Gardner. Uh, he was hoping and expecting a bigger bonus, uh, said he had several other clubs after him, uh, but he had a couple of very bad games at the end of his high school career that he thought uh, damaged his leverage. Uh, he actually finished high school early in the winter, so was able to uh, start a full season at age 18. Uh, the Twins sent him to A-ball, uh, where he really excelled. He went 16-11 and 11 with a 2.22 ERA, and in 225 innings pitched, he struck out 213. The Twins took a gamble, though, which what looked like a solid pitching prospect, leaving Gardner unprotected in the Major League's first-year player draft in December of 1963, and the New York Mets, coming off a record 231 losses over the fir in their first two years of existence, uh, really bereft of young talent since they famously, in the expansion draft, went heavy on veteran names to you know, to try and hit the marquee, old players, New York figures, uh, really needed young talent and drafted Gardner from the Twins roster for the measly sum of $8,000. Gardner seemed cocky, expected to make the majors uh, with the struggling young franchise, uh, figured he'd open the new stadium in Queens with them, but he wound up taking a more circuitous route to flushing uh, and wouldn't make his major league debut until 1965. Uh, after spring training in 64, Gardner got assigned to AAA Buffalo. He promptly offended his manager as a rookie who would speak his mind, which got him shipped down back down to A-ball and across the country to California. Uh, his 1964 season was a bit of a wash, uh, but he reestablished himself and put himself back in the organization's plans with a strong 1965, pitching well out of the bullpen in AA and then excelling when he got bumped back up to AAA Buffalo as a starter. The Mets were well on their way to a fourth straight 100-loss season, uh, making it a perfect 4-for-4 four four in their four seasons of existence when they decided to add the young 20-year-old Gardner to their roster on September 1st of 1965. 
Gardner made his Major League debut on that day, September 1st of 65, at Shea against the Houston Astros in the second game of a doubleheader. Researching this podcast, and especially older players that we cover, uh, there are a lot of doubleheaders back in the day. Uh, And spoiler alert, that will play quite a role in Gardner's Mets story. Uh, and actually his major league story, he really was that kind of quintessential spot starter uh, and got a lot of opportunities uh, pitching, I think, second games of doubleheaders. Perhaps 40 years from now, someone will be doing a David Peterson podcast uh, and reminiscing thusly. I don't know. Uh, at any rate, Gardner got rudely introed to the major leagues uh, as the Astros struck for a five-run top of the first inning. Bob Lilly led off the game. First batter Gardner faced in the majors with a triple. Joe Morgan singled him home. Uh, The young, mistake-prone Mets would follow with a pair of errors, uh, putting two men on for Rusty Staub, who would do what he would do often in the future at Shea Stadium, drive in runs by the bushel. Uh, This time he would drive in three with a homer into the Shea bullpen, leaving Gardner down 5-0 in his Major League debut before he had even retired a batter. Uh, He would then walk the next batter after Staub, but would bounce back with a ground ground ball double play and a strikeout. Um, He'd settle in a bit and actually wind up striking out six over his three innings of work, uh, but he surrendered seven runs, five of them earned, thanks to another home run in the third inning. His second start would be significantly better. He'd throw a quality start against the Cardinals, uh, six innings, two earned runs, but earn another loss, uh, then appear twice out of the pen. Uh, so through four major league appearances, Gardner had thrown 13 major league innings, surrendered 10 runs, walked five, struck out 12, and allowed four home runs. Then he would go on to take the hill, again in the second game of a doubleheader, and twirl what some would argue, or ESPN did argue, is the best-pitched game in Mets history. It was the closing weekend of the 1965 season. The Phillies were in town to play the Mets. Uh, They were mired in sixth place. The Mets, where they were consistently through the first four years of existence, in dead last and tenth. Uh, And that final meaningless weekend of the season had mercifully arrived on Friday, October 1st. Uh, but New York's weather would not cooperate. The game would get rained out and rescheduled as a doubleheader the next day. Game one, uh, on October 2nd, Saturday, the Phillies would improve to 83-76, and and the Mets would drop to 50-110, and as the Phillies would win game one of the doubleheader, 6-0. The game started at 5.30 p.m. and was over in a somewhat long for 1965, but still reasonable game time of 2 hours and 31 minutes. Jim Bunning, who had twirled a perfect game against the Mets the year before at Shea on Father's Day, fired a measly two-hitter this time to earn his 19th win of the season. Game two would start shortly thereafter in front of about 10,000-plus at Shea, Uh, The starting pitching matchup was Chris Short for the Phillies against Rob Gardner of the Mets. And that game just would not end. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Phillies were not an incredible team. They did have a winning record that year. Uh, but they did have some offense uh, highlighted by the dangerous Dick Allen. And in fact, Gardner struggled in the first inning of the game a bit. Uh, Then in the third, had uh, a man on third base thanks to a pair of Met errors and one out and was facing the dangerous Allen. Uh, In reminiscing about the game in later times, Gardner said that as a young pitcher, he thought he was almost out of the game, uh, that there were stirrings or they were getting people up in the bullpen, um, and he didn't want to walk Allen. uh, So he struck him out on a fastball as he walked off the mound. Allen probably thought... Gardner got away with one. He just looked at him and shook his head. After that inning, Gardner would reel off 12, yes, 12 more scoreless innings to give him, count him, 15 consecutive scoreless innings pitched in all. He would yield, I think he'd yield two hits over the first three innings. He would yield only three more. Uh, He yielded five hits, walked out two, and struck out seven over 15 innings pitched. And for his work, Gardner would receive a no decision. As a matter of fact, so would the Mets, so to speak. Can't get a pitch count, but Gardner faced 53 batters that day through 15 innings. Then in the bottom of the 15th, Jimmy Schaefer mercifully pinch hit for Gardner and struck out. Uh, With two outs in the bottom of the 15th, Ron Hunt followed with a single and a stolen base, but Joe Christopher would also strike out, ending a last chance for the Mets to get a win for the impeccable... Uh, work of Rob Gardner. Of course, from the Phillies' perspective, uh, those two strikeouts came from the Phillies' hard-throwing short, who saw Gardner's 15 scoreless innings and raised him 18 strikeouts. Uh, So yes, both pitchers went 15 scoreless. Uh, Short would be pinch hit for in the top of the 16th. Neither team would score through 18 when, after four hours and 29 minutes of gameplay, or your average Yankees-Red Sox nine-inning game. Uh, The game was called after 18 innings as a scoreless time. Uh, The time was 12.50, and the the National League at the time had a curfew, uh, thus effectively ending the game. So Rob Gardner threw 15 scoreless innings, for which he received a no decision in what was essentially a non-game. It was recorded as a tie, Uh, part of his record and statistical record, but had to be replayed the next day as part of yet another doubleheader on the last day of the season to get both teams to 162. Can't believe they couldn't have just gone for 161. For the game, Gardner's pitching line, again, 15 innings pitched, 5 hits, no runs, 2 walks, 7 strikeouts for a game score of 112. Smart's game score was, in fact, 114 for that same game. Marked the fifth and last time since 1920 that two pitchers each tossed at least 15 innings and each allowed one run or less. And um, I expect we'll be saying the last fifth and last time many, many years into the future, the way the game's played now.
The following day, the game was started from scratch. In game one of a doubleheader, the Mets lost 3-1. to one. The second game went 13 innings, uh, finally ending again with the Phillies again triumphing 3-1, to one, sweeping the series, ending the Mets season at 50 and 112, which means it took them 27 innings Saturday, right? Nine innings game one, 18 innings game two, and 22 more innings Sunday, 49 innings in all to get in three game, three meaningless games to count in the standings to end the 1965 season. Garner was blissfully on his way home to Binghamton after his 58 innings the previous night. I guess there was no chance he was going to be used in either game of the doubleheader. I mean, they worked pitchers hard back then, but not that hard. But coming off that amazing end to the 65 season, Gardner was touted as a lock for the starting rotation in 66. Felt like he should be a lock. Um, he had a great spring training working closely with P- new Mets pitching coach Harvey Haddix, who... Uh, Knew a thing or two about going more than nine brilliant innings without being rewarded for it. Uh, but ultimately, Gardner's results in 66 were mixed. Uh, his third and fourth starts of the year were great. He went nine innings and allowed one run in what would be a Mets extra inning win in his third start of the year. Then in his fourth start, he would finally, af- after pitching the greatest, the greatest, one of the greatest games in Mets history, earn his first career win Uh, in style. Uh, At home against the Cubs, uh, Garner allowed one run over nine innings, and then in the bottom of the ninth, Cleon Jones led off with a walk-off homer uh, to make Garner a first-time ever Major League Baseball winner on May 6, 1966, in front of 27,000-plus at Shea on a Friday night. Garner would go the distance in two of his next three starts, a complete game win, a complete game loss, and would be 2-1 and one with a 2.35 ERA through seven starts, but he would begin to struggle. Uh, he'd go 0-4 with a 6.54 ERA in his next five starts and be relegated to the bullpen, uh, where he really struggled. Uh, he described himself often as not an overpowering pitcher, relying on uh, curveballs and other breaking pitches for his success, and he felt he lost control of his breaking pitches uh, going to the bullpen, as he put it, did not help me at all. And the results showed he made two starts and 20 relief appearances after the All-Star break uh, and pitched in only 33 innings to a very rough 7.36 ERA. Uh, it would be his only full season in the majors, and he would go 4-8 and eight with a 5.12 ERA in 133 and two-thirds innings. Although he did record one of only two career major league saves of the finishing a game variety, he threw four scoreless innings in a 5-4 Mets win over the Astros. Garner came to spring training with the Mets in 67, hoping he'd win a job, but got relegated to the minors, loaned to the Phoenix Giants and the PCL uh, before getting traded to the Cubs for Bob Henley on June 12th of 1967, ending his Mets career. Uh, but not what would be a pretty long baseball odyssey uh, with a lot of movement between teams and shuttling between AAA and the majors. Um, That would start with the Cubs, where he would go back and forth between AAA and Wrigley, going 0-2 for them in 18 appearances, 5 starts, and 31 innings. Garner was with uh, with the Cubs in spring training of 68, but got traded to Cleveland, Uh, where between offending the organization because he originally refused to report 
Uh, then he began to struggle with arm issues that would plague him the rest of his career. Uh, he would actually not pitch at all in the majors in 68, and would only appear in five games uh, for the Indians in 69 before being traded to the Yankees. This would begin a weird period where Gardner would toggle back and forth between the Yankees and the A's, uh, twice getting traded from New York to Oakland, the first time for Felipe Alou, the second time for Matty Alou. Uh, which I found very amusing. Of course, the A's were kind of at the peak of their dynasty at the time, the Yankees uh, beginning a rare period of struggles. Um, so the you know, kind of borderline major leaguer, quad A pitcher Gardner, actually appeared a lot more uh, with the Yankees than he did with Oakland. Uh, he was a non-roster invitee for the Yankees in spring training of 70. Uh, he got assigned to Syracuse in AAA, where he had a sadly for him, like basically a career year, uh, probably the last year he was healthy the whole year, uh, and he led the International League with 16 wins, 192 innings pitched, uh, 2.53 ERA, and actually was named the league's MVP. Um, all that effort got him added to the Yankees' 40-man roster and a very late season call-up in September where he made his one appearance count, uh, throwing seven and a third innings to earn a victory against the Washington Senators. Uh, it was his first big league victory in more than four years, uh, after more than four years of toil. He got what looked like it was a, another big break and a longer period of such in 1972 when he came back to the Yankees for his second tour from Oakland. I think he was just released. I don't think Oakland traded him back. At any rate, Gardner started 72 again with Syracuse, uh, came up in late June, though. Uh, again, the Yankees had a spate of doubleheaders, uh, three of them over the course of the month of July, and Gardner was essentially called up, uh, you know, as a swingman, a little relief, and to start those doubleheaders. Uh, he would go on to win all three of those starts, highlighted by his first career complete game victory in six years since 1966 when he outdueled Nolan Ryan in a 7-1 to victory over the California Angels at Yankee Stadium. All in all, for a middling Yankee squad that finished in fourth place, Gardner finished with an impressive 8-5 record in 20 appearances, 14 of them starts, and a 3.06 ERA over 97 innings pitched. He hoped it would be a springboard back to an opportunity, so he actually was very frustrated to be traded to the defending champion Oakland A's in the offseason. Uh, he would make only three relief appearances uh, with them. Uh, he would get sold in the middle of the season to the Milwaukee Brewers, where uh, his elbow and shoulder troubles that he had struggled with through the late 60s and early 70s would resurface. Uh, he pitched 12 and two-thirds innings with Milwaukee, had a 9.95 ERA, and was returned to the A's, where he spent the rest of the season on the disabled list as the 1973 A's, uh, sadly, uh, won their second of three straight world championships, defeating the Mets in seven games. I wonder if Gardner got a World Series ring, though. I mean, I thought they tended to give them to anyone who made an appearance, and he did, I thought he, you know, he got, he's got sent to Milwaukee, but came back to Oakland. I'd be interested to know that, but I am not certain. But Gardner never really overcame this spate of arm injuries, and in fact, a July 13th, 1973 game in which he appeared for the Brewers against Oakland uh, would be Gardner's last Major League Baseball appearance, and he would struggle against his former team, pitching in the ninth and surrendering four runs over a third of an inning. 
Garner would try really hard to continue in the game. The A's would release him outright during spring training of 74. Uh, He tried comeback attempts with the Tigers and the Yankees organizations in 75 and 76, eventually blowing out his elbow in spring training of 1976, uh, ending officially his professional baseball career, in which he was uh, 70 days short of the requirements to qualify for a four-year pension. From what I could gather online, Gardner returned home to Binghamton, uh, didn't really get too involved in the game. He spent did some time uh, working as a pitching coach, but mostly was away from the game. Uh, back in Binghamton, he served as a fireman and a paramedic uh, before retiring, and as of 2013, he uh, was enjoying retired life in southern Florida. For his Major League Baseball career, Gardner went 14-18, and 18, Uh, With a 4.35 ERA, he appeared in 109 games, uh, 42 of those starts, uh, through 331 Major League innings, 193 strikeouts. As a New York Met, he was 4-10 with a 4.79 ERA, uh, with 162 thirds innings pitched, uh, allowing, allowing 71 walks and 93 strikeouts over that time. But for 15 of those innings, in a game that was neither a win nor a loss for him nor for his franchise, he was scintillating, he was brilliant, and he was unformidable. His career war, according to Baseball Reference, was negative 1.5. As a Met, it was negative 0.4. I was really hurt by that last uh, rough stretch at the Brewers, where I know just 12 innings, he was negative 0.9. Imagine taking a major league hill for 15 innings, uh, something we, the way baseball's going, may never see again. What a performance. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow Amazing Avenue on all your social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our amazing podcasts wherever you get your pods. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets.